If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Do you remember the year 1999? I know a bunch of you are saying, of course we remember the year 1999. It wasn't that long ago. But take yourself back into time in the year 1999. Do you remember the panic, especially in the summer and the fall of 1999, of what was going to happen when on December 31st into January 1st, the clock struck 12. There were predictions of anarchy. There were predictions of chaos. There were people lining up to hoard anything and everything because they were sure this was the end of life as we knew it. There were people saying this was about to be biblical prophecies regarding the book of Revelations or whatever your favorite end of times prophecy is. And this was going to be all that and more, all because of the Y2K bug. Some people called it the millennium bug. Other people called it something else. I think the most commonly used term was Y2K. Well, you may not know this, but the gentleman that first kind of raised awareness of this issue, that first tried to warn first his company and then the world, about Y2K is also an incredibly well-known management consultant. He's a speaker and a writer who goes all over the world, is widely sought after on management issues. But uh, these days, when we're looking at crisis after crisis, he's sort of the godfather of the original crisis in the 21st century, Y2K. I'm very, very pleased to welcome speaker, writer, consultant on management issues, Peter DeYager. Peter, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks, Frank. Happy to be here and uh, looking forward to the chat. What makes you such an expert when it comes to management? What do you know that others may not? I come at this from a people's perspective. I always have. I started in IT and computers, and I earned a reputation for being able to talk about computers to business people in a way that they understand. And likewise, to IT people about management issues in a way that they understand. Uh, I'm not about hype, <laughs> despite the Y2K stuff. I'm not really about hype. I, I like talking about things that everybody has firsthand experience with and that they can, once you shine a light on some of their behaviors, make better sense of how they manage their organizations or how they respond to management when management tries to do some rather crazy things from time to time. 
A friend of mine was a former congressman, not much of a sports fan, never worked in sports, and he was sort of looking for a career after sports, and he had some discussions with somebody about becoming the general manager of a baseball team. And initially, he thought to himself, well, I don't really know anything about baseball. What good could I possibly do being the general manager of a baseball team? But then he said, well, wait a minute. I know how to manage. I've managed this. I've managed that. I could probably manage a baseball team team. How do you feel when it comes to management? Could you manage anything or could you only manage something that you knew something about? This comes up in conversations with consultants all the time. When a consultant is looking to get work with, say, a pharmaceutical company, one of the questions is going to be from the pharmaceutical company is, what do you know about pharmaceuticals? Now, the truth of the matter is I know nothing about pharmaceuticals. I mean, I know aspirin, (laughs) Tylenol, That's about it. But every pharmaceutical company has something in common with every other company on the planet, and that is people. People don't change. They're the same everywhere. Your fellow talking about managing a baseball team, yeah, he's he's right on. He's spot on in that baseball team is people. And people is a large part of management. Yes, you need someone to understand the business that you're in. I could not drive a pharmaceutical company. But I can help managers in a pharmaceutical company understand their people better and themselves better when they're trying to bring something about like change. All right, let's talk about what made you famous or more famous of the last quarter century, the Y2K issue. How and when did you discover that Y2K was going to be a problem? Well, first off, I mean, you said I was one of the first. Well, not really. People had been talking about Y2K as early as the 1970s. In the Scottish Widows Bank, for example, they came across a problem where their 30-year mortgages started to fail in 1970. Why? Because the closing date was 2000. And since we were only closing, you know, keeping the last two digits of the year, their closing date was the year 00, which caused all types of problems. I first ran into it. I was a computer operator at IBM back in 1978. And my job, along with the rest of the people on the floor, was to IPL, you know, initial program load the computer every day. And when you do that, you have to tell at the time, because we didn't have the Internet back then. You actually had to tell at the time. We'd just gone through daylight savings time yet again. And most of our devices are able to automatically pick up the date. However, back in the day, you had to tell it what the time was. Mm. And I'd just come out of university, and I noticed that we were typing in two digits. For 1978, we'd say the year is 78. And that's all fine until we get to what happens when we type in zero, zero. And the computer would assume it's 1900, just as it assumed that 99 would be 1999. When it got to zero, zero, it was going to be 1900. And that's what I noticed. And I went into my boss and I said, we have a problem. (laughs) This is 1978. He says, what's the problem? I said, well, we're going to have a problem in the year 2000. Like 22 years from now, <laughs> we're going to have a problem. He says, you're crazy. Get out of my office. Someone will take care of it by then. 
someone will fix it by then, a statement that I heard a thousand times. And I knew the computers would fail if, if, if they had the problem. Not all computers did. But a large computer system like a banking system, which is what I was working on at the time, would have problems. And when they tested their systems, they did. So what made me famous, if you want, is that I just wouldn't shut up. I wouldn't stop talking about this. I wouldn't stop writing about it. And people finally, to shut me up, would tell me things like, I'm going to go and test my systems and prove that you're a moron. (laughs) I said, okay, good. And then they come back and say, Peter, we apologize. We tested our system, and our, our system just went belly up. It just died on the vine. And thankfully now we have, you know, we have 10 years to fix it because we found out today rather than on January the 1st, 2000. Thank you. People are just tuning in. We're talking with Peter DeYager. He is uh, the co-author, among his other claims to fame, of a book called Busted, Debunking Management Myths with Logic, Experience, and Curiosity, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, going back to that Y2K issue, Peter, it's uh, difficult for some people, especially young people who might not even remember this or have been alive at the time, to imagine now. But uh, people were very scared at the time. A lot of folks were thinking that this really could be the the end of days. Did you have anyone that reproached you for adding to the panic rather than try to raise awareness of a problem? Oh, absolutely. And the, the problem is, is that you can't shout fire in a room to the only the people who need to hear the message. In other words, my target audience was the IT industry. It wasn't the, the average person in the street. But when you're trying to communicate to one sector of the community, of the population of the world, you inevitably have spillover to other people, people who shouldn't have been worried about it, but they were. And we, we had the religious right get involved in it. We had the preppers get involved in it. We had the survivalists get involved with it. And I'm there just talking about the computer issue. People would ask me, you know, could, Mr. Diager, could planes fall out of the sky? Now, it's unlikely, but the honest, correct answer is, yeah, that could happen. And the thing is, is if you look at Boeing, they had some recent computer problems. Now, it wasn't the computer problem that caused it to fall out of the sky. It was the understanding of the pilot when the computer on the plane did something that caused planes to fall out of the sky. Mm. And there was a Therac-25, the radiation device used in medicine, and it had a programming problem. Now, these weren't Y2K problems. These were just programming problems. And this Therac-25 device killed people. It gave them too much radiation. So when you're asked, what's the worst possible thing that could happen, and you answer it, unfortunately, that then becomes the headline. You know, crazy computer guy says complaints will fall out of the sky. First off, I didn't say they would. I said they might. And I'm not pushing the horror story. What I want is people to look at their planes, look at their computers, look at their manufacturing systems. And in the end, that's what they did. We spent worldwide around 300 billion U.S. dollars 
fixing this problem. Wow, my goodness. When you say you wouldn't shut up about the problem and you went uh, and spoke about this and warned people and tried to get people to update their systems, what did you actually do? When, oh. and this was in the era before YouTube. This was largely in the era before social media, at least as we know it now. Uh, how did you uh, How did you act and in this kind of chicken little manner to make people aware of this? It's one thing to not shut up about it. It's another thing to get people to listen. What did you do? A number of things. One, I'm a speaker. I can get in front of an audience and I can hold their attention for an hour, hour and a half. So I did a lot of speaking. I'm a writer, so I did a tremendous amount of writing. At one point, I had 12 monthly columns that I had to produce an article for every month. I would speak at conferences. I would speak to governments. I would go in and speak to corporations about the problem. So it was mainly writing and speaking. And the Internet was coming along at the time, barely. We didn't have the tools we had today, but we did have some tools. Well, I had one mailing list at one point that went out to 90,000 people. And they got, an email, they got hundreds of email every single day uh, from themselves. This was people helping themselves, asking a question and getting answers from their peers. We had discussion groups. Uh, I would have debates. I did more than 2,000 media interviews. When you phoned me up the, day, the other day and said, Peter, would you know, got to get on? Sure, why not? Why? Because I've done 2,000 of these. These are things I did every single day. I'd get up in the, the beginning of the day, and my first question would be, when is my first interview. Not do I have an interview today, which would be a typical question for right. maybe a business person to answer, or sorry to ask. But my question was, what's my first one? What's the first one? Because there would usually be anywhere from a half a dozen to a dozen different interviews every single day. You talk about the $200 billion or more dollars that were spent globally to solve this problem. How did companies solve the problem? If you have computers that are programmed to only have two digits, what do they actually have to do to fix a problem like that? It's, it was an incredibly complicated problem. First off, computer systems in large organizations are not like the little PC things, you know, that are sitting on your desk. These are far more complicated, and they speak to other businesses, and they have internal systems. It's not unusual for an organization to have 30, 40, 50,000 different programs in their systems. Each one of those programs would consist of 10, 20, 30,000 lines of code. So do the math. You have to check through all of that to determine whether or not you have the problem, how big the problem is, and then what do you need to do, and in what sequence do you need to do it in order to fix the problem? You ever played the game of pick-up sticks? Sure. Yeah, well, it was exactly like that, except with a couple of million pick-up sticks. <laughs> Which one do you pick out first? And a lot of the work went into planning. Now, that was one way. Go in and actually fix it. Now, what I mean by fix it, well, you can expand it. 
to four digits. That was a, a difficult way to do it. You could make a, a little program tricks to say, look, if the year is less than 20, let's pretend that it's the year 2000. And if it's greater than 20, it goes back to 1900. We did a lot of things like that called sliding windows and fixed windows. It gets very complicated. And that is why that it was so difficult for people to understand why we couldn't just go in and, and fix it. It's so easy to say, fix it, five letters. But organizations, there were banks that spent, individual banks spent in excess of $100 million fixing this stuff. We sent it overseas. We sent it to India. Basically, the outsourcing industry in India was partially created by Y2K. India would not be the powerhouse it is today if it hadn't done the Y2K work. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Well, obviously, it's impossible to know for sure, but I am imagining you probably know better than most. Let's say these companies, and I'm imagining this extends to some governments as well, let's say they didn't do the Y2K work. Let's say they didn't fix their systems. Let's say they continued to view you, as you said, a moron and just ignored your warnings. What would have actually happened? Do you think we might have seen a situation where planes fell out of the sky? What was the most likely scenario if Y2K wasn't addressed? Okay, first off, there were some organizations that did nothing for particular types of systems, and they suffered no consequences at all. There were other companies that spent a lot of money looking to see if there was a problem and found nothing. And then blame me, of course, because they spent the money to (laughs) check and see if they had a problem or not. Those were the power companies. But the industries that absolutely would have gone plunk on their face, they would have face-planted on the cement, would have been anything to do with finance, all insurance companies, anything to do with logistics. And it's not a matter of, Peter, what would have happened if we hadn't done anything? You see, that's not exactly how it works. The reality is that back in the 1990s, when organizations were going to test their systems, what they were doing was, let's pretend that we're not going to do anything. Let's start feeding this system zero, zero data, data from the year 2000. And when they did that, their systems died. The entire banking systems just went belly up. Hmm. The IRS in the States went belly up. Telecommunications systems just stopped working. 
Now, you asked about the airlines. Good question. We found one problem, and it, had to, it would not have caused any plane to crash. There was one problem found in a particular type of plane. I can't remember the details. And it had to do with when you put the navigation map into the pilot, into the cockpit, you know, load it up and say, this is where we're going to go. It's using maps. And what the computer always does is it checks to see if the map is up to date. In other words, it does a validity check. And what they found was is that if the map was dated 19-something, then the computer would come back and say, this doesn't work, this is invalid. And there would be a little red warning light in the cockpit. And there is a philosophy when flying is that it lights out in the, the cockpit. In other words, there cannot be any warning signs, otherwise you can't take off. This thing generated a warning sign. So back around 1995, 1996 time frame, they identified this in a couple of model planes and said, okay, we need to fix that. Opened up the cabinet, took out the board, put a new one in, the problem was fixed. No planes would have crashed, but we didn't know that until we checked. Was there a problem? Yes, there was. It was trivial. But trivial enough in a way that it would have stopped planes from taking off. So we had to do that work. It was a fascinating time, and we did have Y2K problems. Go into the newspaper or go on Google and Google 2020 New York parking meters, mm. January. Parking meters stopped working in January of 2020. Why? Well, there was a Y2K problem that they hadn't fixed properly. They fixed it so that it was good for 20 years sliding windows thing I talked about. Oh, sure, right. They didn't go back and correct it. They didn't go back and update it. So along comes January 2020, and the thing stops. You also might look at Polish cash registers. Same time period, same problem. They all had to be going, sent back to the shop to be fixed. And there was something about trains in Europe where the trains wouldn't start up. It was fixed in a day or two because we had a hint as to what was causing it. But this notion that Y2K didn't cause problems is absolutely bizarre. If you go get on Google and Google the following words, NHS, three letters, National Health Services of the UK, PATHLAN, P-A-T-H-L-A-N, Y2K, and the word Downs. And read the report that came out on September the 10th, 2001 right before 9-11. It got no coverage. Basically, it was a report of a Y2K problem that told mothers, parents, that their kids were high risk or low risk to having a Downs baby. And when some people are giving that type of information, they make choices. There were some early-term uh, abortions mm. based on wrong information. Oh, jeez. And there were kids born with Downs who would not have been brought to term. Now, some people will say, okay, that's a good thing, but not to the people who were involved. So Y2K was real. You were talking about how old you have to be. I've done the math. To really understand what was going on, you needed to have been around 16 or 18 years old back in the year 2000, uh, in 1999. Add on 23 years, you're pushing 40 
You need to be more than 40 years old to, to even remember Y2K properly. And it was a wild and woolly time. There's no doubt about it. Peter, you were, I read, uh, in the air at the time, at the the time that uh, midnight or be, on January 1st came around. When were you reassured that most companies and most computer systems had their act together and that things were going to be okay? Uh, were you ever, for instance, that person that was hoarding five years' worth of supplies at the not. Price Club? No, we uh, we never hoarded anything. I live in Canada. Uh, typical Canadian has two weeks' worth of food in the you know the stock room downstairs somewhere. Why? Because we have ice storms, so that's not unusual. But I never stocked up for Y two K. When did I become very very good about it? March nineteen ninety nine. I wrote an article. The first one was called Doomsday Two Thousand. Mm-hmm. Not my title. This. This one was a rebuttal to that, and it was entitled Doomsday Avoided, March 1999. And if you go on the year 2000, Y-E-A-R-2000.com, but you can't go there directly, go through the um, Wayback Machine, and you can actually find all of the articles that I wrote and that other people wrote. Uh, In Doomsday Avoided, I basically said, look, we had problems, we fixed them. We have gotten all the mission-critical work done. Everything is going to be fine. Will there be some problems? Yes, there will, and there were. Will any of them be significant? We don't believe so. To the best of our knowledge, everything is good. And this was first quarter of 1999. And throughout the rest of the year, I was lambasted for lying to everybody. Now you're saying everything is good. You're part of the conspiracy. You're holding back the charges. Uh, you know, you couldn't win. I, I, I can imagine. I, I can. Uh, I can absolutely empathize. Hey, uh, you got to come back. There's a lot of other issues related to management that I'd love to talk to you about. But before I let you go, Peter, give us your expertise about any any disaster that may be on the horizon, whether it's computer-related or something else, is there anything that we need to be aware of now and on the lookout for and something that can be corrected that hasn't yet been corrected? There's only one that's worthy of talking about, and Greta Thunberg has you know, covered it off. We need to start worrying about the environment. We, we really do. You know, fish are coming up on the beach, and they're not dying of old age anymore. When you do an autopsy on the fish, uh, they're filled with plastics. The oceans are becoming filled with past plastics. It's going to fill up everything. Uh, climate change, whether you agree with it or not, whether you labeled it as poli- you know, political or not, the world is changing. Climate is not the way it's, it's been in the past, and it's not going to get better on its own. Uh, you know, that phrase from Y2K, someone will fix it by then. Well, the then has arrived, and we need to start fixing it now. On that optimistic, upbeat (laughs) note, Peter, uh, we're going to have to end it there. But let's talk again soon. I'd love to have you back. 
Frank, whenever you want me back to have a chat, by all means, let's do that. Thank you. Peter DeYager, speaker, writer, consultant on management issues, and you could check out his new book, which uh, I'm sorry we didn't get time to chat about, but we're just going to have to have Peter back. It's called Busted, Debunking Management Myths with Logic, Experience, and Curiosity. This is The Other Side of Midnight. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts on any portion of our discussion, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead.